All right, it appears we are live. Sesh, are you ready? I am ready. Maria, are you ready? Yes, I am. Well, in that case, in five, four, three, two. Hello, all you SpryTubers, Twitchers, and Pod people out there. Welcome to the Could You Do It Better podcast. We're filmmaker, gamer extraordinaire, and the behind-the-scenes awesomeness known as Sesh, and the award-winning writing and directing sensation known as Maria. Discuss popular television shows and movies and answer the always controversial question of, could you do it better? Today, we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 3 of Lauren Schmidt-Hisrick's The Witcher television series, based upon Andrzej Sapkowski's The Witcher novel series. And as for me... I'm Jonathan the Intern, and unlike our two experts, have no industry experience whatsoever. In other words, I'm much like Roach the Horse. I serve as comic relief for the talent, I disappear for the entirety of the episode after the intro, and I was offered as collateral to pay for a weekend with people of ill repute. I knew something was up there! And now, to Sesh and Maria! Woo! Yeah, yeah, legal said that that was foreign finance and interest. Interesting. Interesting. Well, welcome back to another wonderful Witcher Week. Uh, this is episode three we'll be talking about. Uh, and before we get started, Maria, welcome back. This is your your first time returning in full after after your win for best comedy. So congratulations. Yeah, as I said, as I said, she turned completely British after after being acknowledged and getting that recognition. I you know it's amazing. It, it truly is. Um in any case, uh, I guess I guess we'll move on for a bit. We might we might hear more from you a little bit later. Okay. Uh, so, spoiler warning for everybody listening: in this episode, we will be doing a detailed recap of season one, episode three of the Witcher TV series that will indeed contain spoilers throughout. So, if you haven't watched this episode and don't want to hear spoilers before you do, please feel free to put us on mute and you watch this episode then re-watch it afterwards, because that's how you double the view counts. And now, on to the recap, as mandated by our legal department. Open on a boy dying from a beast attack by what he swears is a wolf-human hybrid. A non-Geralt witcher is there to take coin to kill it. This witcher follows a bloody trail to a meat locker, and as he's not Geralt, he is ambushed and felled by something unseen, but sounds like a woman screaming. Speaking of women screaming, this brings us to Geralt, who we find betting a woman who is having issues finding clothes that can stay on her body. <laughs> Geralt shows off his war wounds, saying he was stabbed by a princess, and the Lady of the Night says she was just stabbed by another witcher who left the Temerian infestation. Geralt wordly runs out, leaving his horse behind seeking treatment. Wolfpaw intro. After running all night, Geralt finds himself in a typical union meeting where the miners threaten to stop work and overthrow the political machine if they don't get what they want. 
enter the Union Buster King's army, who tells the Union to disperse and have Geralt taken out of the city or else. As Geralt is, is escorted out of the city, the king's men accompanying him all pass out and fall off their horses, as the witch in the woods' sea fly release was extremely <laughs> effective. Well, it winds up the witch slash sorceress, Triss, works for the king and offers Geralt coin to save the beast instead of killing it. Triss brings Geralt back to her chemistry lab, offering him double payment to figure out what is killing everyone. After feeling up some corpses, Geralt deduced <laughs> it is a heart and liver-eating Striga, the cursed child of the princess. Wow, it's that easy. I wonder why detectives don't do this all the time. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Eratuza, Istrid and Yennefer are getting busy themselves in front of a throng of onlookers cheering on their efforts vivaciously. Yennefer is older than we last saw her, so it's good to see she's made numerous friends in this time even if they are all in her head. <laughs> she meets with the royal fashion designer to dress her for her first trip to Council of King. But cut first to Geralt and Temeria, meeting with the king and his advisors attempting to determine who created the Striga. Geralt, not much for decorum, tosses out the advisors and shuts the door. He then goes to insinuate that the king killed his sister, then slept with her corpse, and is the father of this creature. And that is why he won't have it killed. The king calls Geralt emotionally void and no longer welcome in his kingdom. <laughs> Over to a quorum of sorcerers led by Stregobor, where we learn their purpose is to influence them and be their puppet masters to avoid war and bloodshed. However, we already see this is a corrupt order who put their own desires first and as such, Yennefer is to be sent to Nilfgaard to advise their king, whereas a young and stubborn Princess Calanthe is set to rule in Sintra, a city that has ruled outside the Sorcerer Council's influence far too long. And with that, we realize that this episode has gone full back to the future, and Geralt may or may not be the DeLorean. <laughs> Yennefer, outraged they're sending her to Nilfgaard, finds out from Tissaia that Stregobor ruled it so because he found out about her quarter-elven blood from someone close to her. But who could it be? <laughs> Yennefer only has befriended one other person in the show. And with that, Yennefer storms out to kick her boyfriend straight in the dick. <laughs> Over to Tamaria, where Geralt is not heeding the king's request and waiting to break into the haunted mansion. Triss joins him, and after chasing away the guards with a loud noise, they're in like Flynn. While Geralt literally sniffs around the soiled bedsheets, Triss finds a hidden compartment in a music box that has the paternity results from the Mori show proving that <laughs> King Foltis is the father of his sister's baby. Geralt goes to the king's advisor, telling him of the king's real-life role-playing of Targaryen family dynamics, <laughs> only to find out that the advisor was the jilted lover who cursed the king for taking and impregnating his woman and won't kill the Striga because he wants vengeance on the king by upsetting the townsfolk. So Geralt does what any man in that situation would do. Punch him in the face. Meanwhile, back at Hogwarts, it's Initiation Day, where would-be sorcerers get their enchantments from the Council of Sorting Hats. But Yennefer never shows up. Instead, we find her in Istrid's room to lay a whooping on him, calling his life and desires boring and unimportant, and that she doesn't love him. She just loves power. 
Istrid deletes his portal address from her phone <laughs> and walks out. <laughs> to the Erdernian Ball, where we see the young Prince Fultus and his sister some 40 to 50 or so years in the past, with Tissaia and Fragella in attendance. All the while, Yennefer calls up the fashion designer and tells him, Make me beautiful, no matter the pain. Back to present-day Temeria, and Geralt faces off with all the king's horses and all the king's men, with King Foltest asking if Geralt can put his daughter back together again, <laughs> because he truly loved his sister. Geralt told him, uh, I don't know. Well, that's good enough for the king, and he lifts Geralt to his business. Inside the haunted mansion, Geralt ties up the advisor until he tells him the curse, which amounts to bathing in lamb's blood and waiting for the rooster to crow three times. And this, dear viewers, is why it's always best to have your cock ready available to doodle-doo at any given moment. <laughs> Back to Yennefer at the fashion designer slash plastic surgeon, and she tells him, keep my eyes and wrists, change everything else. He's like, even your womb? You know you'll never be able to have kids. And she's like, if I wanted to have kids, maybe my boyfriend wouldn't have cheated on me with his rector. Cut to the haunted mansion and enter the striga, umbilical cord swinging in the wind. <laughs> After making quick work of the advisor, it's go time with Geralt. Geralt brings the chains to the bedroom, but striga's like, nah, I ain't the submissive type, and lunges at him. He's scared. After getting pounded into the floor multiple times, Geralt breaks it. Uh, not, not the striga, the, the floor. And both wall through to the basement. Geralt seals the exit and puts on his silver knuckles. I'm not trapped in here with you, striga. You're trapped in here with me. These shots are interspersed with a naked Yennefer having her ovaries removed and burned to prove that women will go to any length for beauty. <laughs> Morning has come, and Geralt seals the Striga's mom's crypt with him inside of it, turning the Striga back to human, while Yennefer metamorphizes herself into her new vision of beauty. The Striga turned human wakes up and promptly bites Geralt in the jugular. <laughs> it does not look good for our hero. Meanwhile, Yennefer wakes up just in time for the ball, and smoke shows the king away, while the council of sorcerers look shocked. Fragella runs away as the clock struck 12, as she's about to be turned into a pumpkin. Back to Geralt, who wakes up, thanks to Triss's healing. Apparently, all Geralt's favorite memories in life flashed before his eyes during his near-death experience. As he uttered Renfrey's name on repeat. Flash over to Ciri, waking up in a snowy forest. She arises and follows a voice leading her through a clearing into the dense northern woods. Her elfin friend attempts to stop her as the clearing is littered with skeletons shot through with arrows. Episode ends with her and elf friend Dara getting an arrow through the chest as he calls out to her, to no avail. This episode is brought to you by Virtually Friends, LLC. People always told you it gets harder to make new friends as you get older. You've tried the apps, the local watering hole, and the weird activity group that you later found out was almost certainly a cult. But no dice. Well, here at Virtually Friends LLC, our state-of-the-art holography allows you to apparate up to 50 friends at a moment's notice to interact with. So whether it's karaoke night, celebrating your surprise birthday, or cheering you on as you do the horizontal mambo, your friends will always have your back. 
That's Virtually Friends, LLC, where the imaginary has never <laughs> been more real. Back to you, <laughs> Sesh and Maria. Woo! <laughs> Thank you for that. No, no, th thanks legal. I don't know why HR, I don't know why you're looking at me like that, HR. <laughs> oh, oh, actually, actually I do. Yeah, I yeah. Do. yeah. That's a pink <laughs> slip over there. That's not good. Few reasons. <laughs> Well, let's dive right into the um, <laughs> episode questions. Uh, number one, how would you have handled the Striga if you were in the king and advisor's position? Jonathan, you want to start this off? Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I think this is a really interesting question, as you have some very different motivations to not wanting to kill the Striga. Let's start with the king. Based on what he told Geralt, it appears he truly loved his sister and the Striga. Uh, the forbidden child, then, is not only his, his only heir, but it's also his only connection to her. So it makes sense he doesn't want her to perish, but that he also doesn't have a means to contain her aside from killing her, as she is a monster. So he just looks the other way. However, I would have reached out immediately to either a sorcerer or witcher I trusted to find out if there's a known way to cure Astriga, as it would not only get you information, but it would also have allowed the king to discover who killed his sister and cursed their daughter, allowing for a much faster cure. Which brings us to the advisor. He wants the king to suffer for having an incestuous affair with his own sister and that advisor's lover, so he wants the Striga to kill off enough of the local populace that they overthrow their king. But does he really need to do this? I mean, couldn't he have anonymously passed on that the Striga is actually the progeny of the king and his sister's incestuous child? The people don't appear to like the king as it is. Letting them know the reason he's not doing anything seems like it would be a much more simple and direct approach. No. I mean, going with the 10-plus-year-long play here, it just seems like he might be <laughs> overthinking this one just a touch. Just a little, little bit. Yeah, that, that whole thing kind of was confusing to me, um, why he decided to do revenge that way. But, you know... My answer to this is, assuming I know that the Striga is indeed the daughter I have with my sister, I would probably be in some denial. So it didn't make sense to me that he's just, like, eating his food, hiding in his room. Just like... <laughs> because, I mean, holy crap, that is a lot of dark and depressing stuff. Not only did I have an illicit affair, but my sister died because of it, and our daughter crawled out of the grave, a monster that is eating my citizens. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't want to think about it. <laughs> I mean, I suppose I would really try to get as many wishes on, witches, not wishes, on that problem as possible, as I really want my daughter to, you know, survive and be cured. But I would have to make sure none of them tell the citizens what the monster really is. Or maybe I would have the wishes make protection necklaces for the citizens and call it a day. Offer my mm. sweet daughter organs from the butchery every night. Oh. That, that's very it's sweet. Dear. <laughs> from 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 the actual butcher? No, 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 no. Um, animals, animals. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you there. Like, you see a sugar, you're just like, okay, not dealing with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, so first off, um, Geralt offered a really good deal, like, pay after I succeed or I die. That's hard to say no to. Like, how can you say no to that? You can even cheat him afterwards if you're a scumbag. Like, perfect setup for you, right? Like, the queen, king clearly needed very much needed some help here too like i 100 percent get why he wasn't honest to begin with because everything about it is you know oh bleh gross yuck um and everything uh but he should have been more welcoming of the help of a witcher especially especially since he could have kept Tris around to confirm that the witcher wasn't scamming him and especially if like she didn't know like why wasn't he talking to her more about this too or like you mentioned pulling in other witches like mm -hmm. she's there to advise him too and she was already there like the king should have just asked to begin with if you can't help and if a witcher can't help who can obviously no one a witcher has to help with this situation so yeah he should have been uh more accepting of the help that was finally just plopped in his lap after a decade or more of this. Yeah, not, not a great decision maker. Nope. <laughs> um, so our next question of the night is uh, Yennefer decides to choose to see life as cold and ruthless place instead of living peacefully with Istrid. How much of life really is how you look at it? Can a person who has suffered abuse ever truly be able to see life in an optimistic, unthreatening way? Do you want to start us off, Sesh? Yeah. Ooh. I mean, this is a hard one. Really hard. I think people can grow past that viewpoint of their own experiences. It's not impossible to do. It's tough, though. Especially when thing after thing just confirms that viewpoint. For Yennefer, there might have been chances she could have seen things differently with Istrid, but the double cross just confirms her worldview yet again. And with Yennefer, she's, she always wanted the power. That was always her goal. Like She didn't want to live a quiet life with him, even when she trusted him. They were on different paths. Um, and with wanting that power... I think that supports her worldview and the path to get it in her point of view. So even if he wasn't the one to have double crossed her, I can't see her having like settled down with him and giving up on her goals of power and influence and with the methods she saw fit to get to those goals. Yeah, you make a very good point about like, you know, not only was she hurt, but she was repeatedly hurt. And that that really reinforces the way um, a person kind of views the world. And it makes it hard to change. And so that's, that's a really good point. Um, uh, for me, I, I, yeah, I believe perspective is just is just about everything. That is the amazing skill we have as humans to choose how we perceive and create a reality. When a person is raised in an abusive situation, they're forced to see a reality that is unsafe. I honestly don't know if it is possible to unsee that world and truly believe in an idyllic, wonderful world full of possibilities. But I do think though that the experiences that we are given in this world hold great value because we are meant to experience them. So however, I just 
don't think it equals being a victim. So that is always our choice. But I, I think sometimes choice requires a strong will to not necessarily erase those negative experiences, but learn from them. Um, experiences, especially bad, offers opportunities to gain a different strength from them. Like So the strength, too, is still uh, to believe in ourselves, but with a driving force behind that belief that we will do everything in our power to not treat our, our others how we were treated. So while I do think once you witness or live life with trauma, you can never forget it, uh, it's, you can, while it's not easy, choose to channel it in a different way, however you want. That's so well said. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head in that uh, the old adage that truth is in the eye of the beholder is an extremely accurate one, in my opinion. You know, the fact is that if you tell yourself a lie enough times, it becomes your truth. And that is why it is so difficult to break from things that we are taught during our formative years. And even more unfortunately, why it's so difficult to break a cycle of abuse. As sad as it is, many of us know someone in our lives who is, in a, who is in an abusive relationship and just can't seem to get out of it. And a lot of that is because they get abused for so long, they continue, they, they continue to convince themselves that they're deserving of that abuse. And that is truly devastating because once you start believing that, it is incredibly hard to break that habit. Also, uh, if you are in our listening audience and you are in an abusive relationship, know that whatever you've done or think you did, you are never deserving of abuse. And while it will likely be the toughest thing you ever do, you need to do what you can to get out of that relationship and leave it behind and surround yourself with a group of people who will help and support you to get out, whether it's friends, relatives, support groups, uh, hotlines, um, you know, do do use them and 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 get out um because honestly it, it only goes goes downhill it, it doesn't get better as for yennefer sadly she is believing she is deserving of abuse and no one will love her and as such she has made that her truth and is taking actions to make her unlovable and it, it's sad but do know that it is possible to change how you view things and how you see yourself it just takes time, a lot of time, and effort and support. And if you doubt that, just think of how much you've changed from, a, from when you were a child and how much your own perspectives have changed. So it is possible to retrain your brain regarding your own self-worth and self-esteem, but just know it won't be immediate or overnight. There will be many setbacks and things that will serve as triggers to make you want to revert to bad patterns. But know that there is a future there for you where you can be the person you truly want to. You just need some help to do so. And over time, these masochistic beliefs will fade and become more infrequent. One day we'll pay you in turn. One day. <laughs> Not today, though. Anyway. <laughs> no suit for you. That was really well said. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, so our next question is, uh, how would you have kept the lovely princess busy all night before the sun transformed her? Mm. <laughs> is that she wanted to Spicy! <laughs> um, 
<laughs> adorable lullaby. <laughs> like just just picture Geralt singing a soothing song. Strickers are just as susceptible to him as humans, right? <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Well, can we assume we wouldn't have known any sooner than Geralt, or can we actually go in with a plan from the get go? And like, how picky of eaters or stringers? I have so many mm, questions. Mm, mm, Do they like to have organs be warm? Mm, Do they have to be human organs? Mm, mm, I would. If I could have gone in with a full bag of her favorite chunks of meat and tried to set up traps in the rooms, mm, yes, multiple, mm, I would give myself options and backup plans if I could. Geralt had one, but that wasn't enough. Now, assuming a worst case scenario where I wouldn't have had any more prep time than Geralt, there's two things I would have focused on more. One is to immediately block off that coffin the Struger has to rest in. That is goal one. You win if you prevent her from getting back in there. To block it or to destroy it, then maybe just run away escaping as far as possible. Striggers are scary, GTFO. (laughs) Secondly, I would have tried to implore more help from our witch friend, Triss. We've seen that they can make barriers, teleport. It's true, some might be better at some skills than others, so maybe she has a different uh, different specialties. But I would think the backup could have helped and been done safely for her, too. I see that Geralt maybe doesn't quite have a suicide wish. He's not quite that reckless, but it's still pretty clear he doesn't want to bring others down with him when it's his time. Still, though, I think there could have been something she could do to help with the overnight battle. I would give a third option, but I don't think the whole structure would take well to just being burned to the ground. <laughs> you you make a great point. I mean, we we yeah. know that Triss, the sorceress, like one of her skills is to make everybody go to sleep. She could have yeah. done that to the Striga while the witcher <laughs> is chanting the lullabies. I, I think you solved it right there. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, now we don't have to continue. <laughs> Problem solved. Done and done. So um, I guess I still have to answer, though, yeah. but that, that was a good one. Um, uh, you know, so how to entertain a princess all night long. <laughs> well, first, I'd start by getting a throng of imaginary people cheering us on in a Garden of Eden tower of my own making. Oh, oh, wait. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Wrong princess, and I'm not a sorcerer. Okay. Uh, No. Instead, I would hold the first ever Iron Chef competition with secret ingredients of liver and heart and have the Striga be the celebrity judge. There'd be pomp, circumstance, a gong, and free food prepared by five-star chefs. And if she gets hungry while they're preparing the food, just feed her the advisor as an appetizer. I mean, his heart is two sizes too small to be used as the special ingredient anyway. So, you know, I think we'd really have a good time with it. It would turn dawn before anybody even realized. And the Striga, I mean, she'd have she'd have great food, you know? <laughs> that, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You know, a little, little Chianti or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's nice. You gotta, you gotta pair it. Yeah. Uh, so my, my answer would be gas. 
I would get some kind of Striga laughing gas and lay out some butchered caliber and have the bar play a ditty all night. Or if the rule is not let her get back in her coffin, and then uh, then I would just have hopped in the coffin at the beginning of the night, sealed it until the morning transformation, done. I mean, granted, she is probably going to kill a bunch of people, but the job would get done. She could get back in there. Okay. Yeah, what happened to the bard? Just wait. I so I, I will just interject there. I'm pretty sure since he's not around, we're back in the past with Geralt. Oh. oh. So Bard and Siri are present-ish day. Got you. Okay. Everyone else so far, I think, is still past. So. Wait. Oh, that's yeah. super confusing. Yeah, we're going to have to need to take some notes on that one. Because I thought the attack already happened. Yeah. I was wondering too because the time period seemed weird when it came to uh, the great cleansing. So yeah, uh, like, I, might, I'm like, I might be wrong on it. I might be wrong on it, but okay. I, I think I think he sticks around and for uh, now okay. there. But maybe he pops in, pops out. Okay. So you're confirming the Witcher is a DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Or he's a time. <laughs> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Lord. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Renfrey got got in, and oh. and you know then there was a time change. See. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> all right. So our it's next... all wobbly wobbly, you know. Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. I need to start making some notes on that. Uh, so our next <laughs> question is: well, Why does to say it? Did I say that right? Mm -hmm. uh, Seems so passive this episode. Uh, do you think she let Yennefer pull her shenanigans? If so, why? Um, well, everyone has a boss, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, really, I think she realizes that the circle of sorcerers company mission of we do this for the betterment of humanity <laughs> to be no more than a standard boilerplate motto of a deeply corrupt company. Well, each person there acts for entirely their own interests. Mm. Uh, thankfully, I have never had to had to deal with this in the real world. So I, I see. No, seriously, uh, I see her like a ruler of her own kingdom. You know, she has an area of influence, and she ensures all in that area kneel before her and recognize her power. But once she steps out of her little fiefdom she realizes how little power she truly has. I mean, she was basically smacked down by the council hard, and it just goes to show that no matter how much power someone seemingly has, there's some authority out there who has ultimate power over them and makes them feel like one of the serfs in her own kingdom. As for how she acts with Yennefer, my gut feel is she both sees some of herself in her and that she also has some fear of her. Mm -hmm. For as we found out last episode, Yennefer is far from a perfectly balanced battery of a mage. <laughs> you know, that's interesting that she could be afraid of her and doesn't like, I was thinking like, I didn't even think of that. Like she could be afraid of her mage. Hmm. I also thought it was interesting that, like, she's—you're saying that she sees stuff in her that's like herself, but we've never really seen her act out. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm just waiting for that. Maybe that'll happen later. Um, I think she is just exhausted from all the politics that she can't really keep up with what's going on in her own school. I almost think she's just depressed. Like, 
So when Yennefer pulls her trick, she is shocked, but not enough to stop her or banish her. She's like, eh. She just doesn't seem to be on either side. The, the council's let her down, and she knows she can't control Yennefer, so let's let things happen as they will. This seems to be her attitude, which is strange, because she seems to be a powerful witch, and she seems to like control herself. So, I, I don't know. Um, why doesn't she go to Nilfgaard and fix things on her own? I, I don't Perhaps she is cooking up something against Dragobor and wants Yennefer on her side when the time is right. That's my guess. Mm, good points. Yeah. So I think it's because, like you mentioned, we're seeing her with her peers rather than her students. Mm -hmm. And they are also powerful. Mm -hmm. They conspire together to hold the peace and influence in all the kingdoms that will welcome them. They're kind of the Illuminati of the Witcher's world. <laughs> it's a council, though. Clearly, the individuals are self-serving, but I get the sense many of them have to make compromises. Lots of frustrating politics to navigate here. It can't just be a powerhouse that takes it all. Like, Yennefer doesn't know that, but she hasn't been to the meetings. And Tessia was not prepared to argue the elf blood issue, so she had no play to make. She was disappointed, too, I think. Uh, things didn't play out how she wanted either, but I get the sense that she's been around long enough to know that's just how things are sometimes. I saw that she politely tried not to allow Yennefer to steal the scene, and she was especially limited in her methods and conduct since they were all surrounded by royalty. And if she's messed up, if she misstepped, uh, she could have really lost her influence there. Mm. Uh, the royalty make the final call on who goes where, really. Um, the witch Illuminati just tries to plot all of that. Like, I loved how she knew Yennefer well enough to immediately recognize what she was going to do, though. Um, I also love how she was right with the pairing being the best for her and that particular royal. I don't think she was proud of Yennefer, though, and likely won't be happy with her waltzing in and <laughs> taking what she wants, since that's not how the council works. And you guys make some very good points, too. I like your viewpoints of her. Yeah, no, I agree that you, you have some, yeah, good knowledge right there. No, absolutely. Uh, thanks for joining us, Chef, by the way. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so our next question is, do you think the Witcher was in love with Renfrey or just feels guilty for killing her? Hmm. Well, I think it may not be love, but it's very close to it. Camaraderie, deep understanding and sympathy for each other. Hmm. Like the very man who ruined Renfrey's life tells Geralt to his face that since he's a Witcher, he doesn't have feelings. And it's presented so clearly that the world doesn't understand witchers in general or Geralt as an individual and somebody like Renfrey, for that matter. And this was from somebody who is a more, has more of an understanding of things than any town folk peasant person. Um, Renfrey and Geralt were like clearly rare in each other's lives where they actually saw each other for who they each are as people, even though others call them monsters. He definitely carries an immense amount of guilt and regret with how every little step and choice led to her death. And by the end of all of it, if one of the two had to die, the pervy old man made it so clear it should have been him. It's just bitter frosting on a shit cake. <laughs> Carol would have loved to 
didn't know Renfrey was out there somewhere living a normal life. It was definitely impactful for him. We see that he has uh, a natural long life. And each of these little stories we see him go through are really life highlights for him, or lowlights. Um, mm-hmm. Renfrey is especially important, especially with her little foreboding prophecy that still lingers with Geralt of the girl in the woods. Yeah, I like what you're saying. You know, I, I think the Witcher regrets killing her over Stregobor. Um, I think killing her messed with his self-image also. Uh, I think he values believing in himself as a good guy. And having killed a princess puts a wrench in that. I, I think he is living to fix that, but can't undo what, he, what has been done. Outside of attraction, I don't think love was there. Not enough time for that to build. But I, I also think it's possible that she laid a spell on him to connect him to Siri, and he will always think of Renfri until he meets Siri. So it's almost like a pre-love spell. Ooh, nice. Nice. <laughs> I like that. Um, uh, for me, yeah, I wouldn't say he's in love with her either, but I would say that he's sort of in lust with her. Um, he, he sees her, I think, as a mirror to himself a person with power who everyone considers to be a monster and who has good reason to hate the humanity that surrounds them. I think he also feels that there is some sort of shared destiny between them and that he deeply wishes he didn't have to kill her as he didn't see her as all bad or even necessarily evil, just someone who has been deeply wronged and attacked basically for just being born. So I think he does feel and care for her, uh, plus, I mean, they had some really great chemistry together, so that, that you know, that always helps. And she had those cool bracers. I mean, <laughs> she looks so cool. Yeah. So I, I think in killing her, Geralt feels he not only lost the chance at a lifelong friend and partner, and heck, maybe even soulmates, but that he killed a part of himself by killing her as well. So not love but a definite crush and interest. And yes, I, I think he does hate the idea of him killing her and that it weighs on him uh, uh, very deeply. So sad. I, I wonder if it's possible to bring people back to life in this world. We'll I'll find out. <laughs> so um, our next question is, was the trade Yennefer made birth for beauty worth it? You want to start us off with this hot topic, Jonathan? <laughs> well, I'm getting canceled, folks. Um, yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, this this trade takes advantage of someone who is easily influenced and in an awful mental state and someone who isn't even old or mature enough to truly understand the implications of what they're deciding. I, I absolutely hate how the beauty industry preys on people's insecurities, especially those of adolescence. And, and don't even get me started when it comes to body modifications like plastic surgery on people, let alone on people under the age of 25. And I am infuriated when teenagers or even preteens are getting cosmetic procedures done. And, and yes, listen, I realize people have the right to make their own decisions, but when you have procedures done, at this age, first of all, your body hasn't even necessarily fully matured yet. And secondly, you have no idea what you're going to think of these changes or the risks associated with them in, say, 10 years' time. 
And I, I hate the idea of people doing things permanently to their bodies that they wind up regretting years later because they just weren't mature enough to not only understand possible consequences and side effects, but to also not be able to realize how truly impactful these decisions may have on their future self. And what they don't even tell people is what percentage of people wind up regretting that procedure long-term. It really does seem sickening to me that we not only offer but advertise optional cosmetic surgeries with long-term implications to the extent that we do. And yes, I realize this is a very hot-button topic for a lot of people and that everyone is entitled to their own opinion on it. But I do feel that many of these procedures should be done as necessary versus per your option for adolescents and young adults. And no, choices like these are almost never worth it. And my guess would be that in the years to come, Yennefer will have regrets over this decision. And, and I'll end this by saying, I'm not telling anybody to decide or choose what they want to do in life. I don't know better than you. The real question I'm asking you to have is, do you think you know better than future you does five or 10 years down the road? Ooh. And anyways, off my, off my soapbox with this, that this is a topic I, I absolutely, I absolutely hate. I really do. Wow. You're really bringing it today with the, uh, with the deep thinking. Appreciate that. I'm trying, trying. I, I need to make my keep here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, for me, I'd say no, uh, it wasn't worth it. She, she wanted power and decided having beauty would give her that. However, she already possessed all the power she needed uh, in, in of her own right. And yeah, she had a love in her life who wanted to marry her. She could have had children with him and taught her children her magic. But basically, she gave that up for an imagined power. She didn't know what power is. Uh, one that she is, yeah, she's not even sure really exists the kind of power she's looking for. I mean, why would she want to look good to kings? She doesn't want to marry them. They will just harass her and make her feel small because they will want to sleep with her, but never marry her because she's just their mage. So to me, not having the conventional beautiful look was more powerful because she could just do her job without getting harassed. I mean, I suppose she wanted to feel like she wasn't missing out on opportunities because of her looks, but now she's missing out on the possibility of having her own family, which is a lot bigger. I mean, however, you know, she is young and impetuous and doesn't have any parent to give her advice or fill her in on what the world is really like. All she is, she has is her rage and the fire to achieve something, anything. I, I'm kind of surprised they burned her uterus up, however, because if she is one of the last of her kind and has that ancient power in her, you know, genes, uh, wouldn't they be valuable to the council? Mm -hmm. Just thoughts. Mm. Good questions. Yeah. So, uh oh, my answer. <laughs> no, so, I mean, I'm looking at it not, you know, uh, cosmetic surgery, but cosmetic magic. So, it's <laughs> okay. uh, so my understanding originally, when I was when I first watched it, um, was that this was that the ritual locks in your looks plus makes you like immortal. 
But I think oh. it's mentioned that witcher, uh, witches and warlocks just age slower than people anyways. So it's more of a last looks before their job interviews. Um, <laughs> we, we did see that Yennefer had longer hair so that she was still aging uh, some way between episode two and three in the years of training between. Mm-hmm. But chaos users age slower than humans regardless. Um, I don't know if I would have made this the trade especially if it's just looks and not also the longevity of it but for the chaos users working in prestigious positions in high courts i'm sure filled with vanity and alluring beauty requirements keeping stupid human nobles happy helps with the job and their job is appeasing the stupid human nobles their powers are clearly not just who can make the biggest explosions or illusions. It's clout, it's appeal, it's reputation, and importantly, influence. And humans are suckers for pretty faces. So to me, it makes sense why the choice was made. Especially from Yennefer, who has always been very career-focused. Like It's not necessarily my cup of tea, but interestingly enough, I did read up on some of the backstory of the ritual in the books and how it came to be. So one really cool aspect was that instead of the you're wizard Harry moment where some kid uses (laughs) magic because some kids are magical and some aren't Mm -hmm. um, in this world, orphan kids and especially disabled and unwanted children, just like Yennefer are sold off to witch schools and all get taught magic regardless of their shown abilities. So anyone could learn, as Geralt said, humans are just better at the chaos. So the ritual came to be because most of the magic users actually have backstories more similar to Yennefer's, where the majority of them wouldn't appeal to the haughty nobles anyways. And their way of surviving has been at the side of those nobles. They're glam up before their job interviews. I will say, though, going into this show, knowing nothing of Yennefer, I was really disappointed to see her change into a beauty. She's gorgeous and all, but I felt it was a very bold and a positive way to have her look the way she did. Go through the same journey as other magical heroes, but with more depth and to still snag a man and do everything else just like any anyone else. Like. And then I think Istrid is likely right, though. Like, she may look different, but I don't think she'll ever forget where she came from. An interesting parallel to this episode where they had, be it three different actresses who were nude for extended scenes within it. (laughs) Finding their way into their career paths. Intriguing. (laughs) Intriguing. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know, it's, it was sad to see, like, oh, now, now she's going to be beautiful the rest of the time. I thought it was refreshing that she was naturally herself and finding, like, for her to find her power and still look the way she did would have been nice. And, like, they're witches, can't they just, like, put a glamour on the, on the king, make them think they look good, and they just look themselves? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, you know, like, like I said, like, it became like a procedure, a ritual where, like, they don't have to always use up any of their magic juice. Right, <laughs> It's right, just right. one and done. <laughs> yeah, I, I, can, I can see where that's coming from. 
No, I'm in agreement with you, though. I, I, I enjoyed original Yennefer before the transformation. I, uh, I, I do agree, being as I'm a first-time watcher of this show, that that's how they, they should have got it. But, yeah. uh, I think it would have added more depth. It makes me wonder what her what uh, to say I originally looked like. Yeah, great really question. Like um, yeah, I wonder how far most of them go. Yeah. So let's see if we have any uh, questions. Uh, oh, we have some some clapping, some well saids uh, from our uh, uh, from our audience. Uh, so that's at least good. Well, thank you all for. Uh, for joining us uh, today. Uh, feel free, we're gonna go into the ratings now, uh, but if you have anything you want to say or have a question you want us to answer, uh, feel free to do so. Yes, so yes, ratings and uh, the continue watching question. Uh, Sesh, you wanna get us started? How did you feel about this episode? Uh, no, I'm gonna keep watching. <laughs> uh, this show can do horror too. I forgot how much I enjoyed this episode. It's the vibe I love to see. I'm a sucker for monster movies, and this delivers. It even does the modern classic of opening on somebody other than our main character just so we can see them get killed off and set up some extra creepy vibes. The story being told by the dying boy is perfectly creepy and perfect for setting the mood too. I love to see just how scary the monsters can be in this and how messed up curses can be too. Like it's not just an unfair world. It's a scary one too. And I love that. <laughs> Yennefer's story was really interesting too. Um, diving into the political landscape added a really great layer to the world. Like it's so interesting and great for showing the different cultures being juggled between borders having a rich political and cultural landscape really adds a lot of depth to the world building adds vastness and even subtle conflicts that I'm sure can lead to more of that entertaining drama later. This episode places when it takes place. I thought very well um, with a pervert King slash Striga father as uh, a child at Yennefer's storyline, but a gross ass adult in, you know, Geralt's. <laughs> Then the lion isn't in this episode, so we can assume it's in the past before he shows up. Um, there's good drama here and new dynamics with deeper uh, a deeper world to consider. New characters introduced. Still some fun humor from our dry witcher. And one moment I really love is when Geralt first realizes he has to fight all night long. It's <laughs> such a good, oh shit, <laughs> the stakes just got raised moment. Maybe I'm biased here since I'm a sucker for this vibe, but this is probably a 9 out of 10 for me. I really enjoyed it, even though uh, normal Yennefer is no more. Wow, 9 out of 10. That is high. Yeah. I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a good monster, I, you get points. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of went in the other direction with this one. For, for me, the episode was harder for me to enjoy than the previous one. I think it's because it did take a left turn in terms of the tone. Um, but I, I'm just, I'm also not sure why, uh, but the storyline with the Striga and the motives of the King's counselor and the King were very confusing. It was hard for me to follow. Uh, why did he curse Aida to die if he loved her? It felt a bit rushed in terms of storytelling. So I, I mean, I'm sure it was clear somewhere, but I just couldn't quite grasp it. Uh, the transformation that Yennefer went through was pretty gritty and heavy and an interesting choice to mirror it with the Strigish transformation. Um, the dilemma 
that the council have the politics over choosing which mage to work where also felt a bit rushed to me. I wanted more time with that, especially with buildup to the drama of the choices. Um, I couldn't completely grasp the reasoning and wanted more time uh, overall with both storylines. Um, that's why I would give this episode a six out of 10. It had some powerful elements, but it left me wanting more. It wasn't as tightly done for me, especially as a new viewer, than the other episodes. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to say I, I'm in agreement uh, with Maria on this one. Um, I thought this episode seemed a lot more all over the map for me with some weak reasoning in some spots, um, the rushing through of others. And I thought the interweaving of Yennefer's and the Striga storyline, to me, it just didn't make much sense from an episode and plot point building uh, standpoint. Um, maybe this will have greater meaning later in the storyline, uh, but as it was, it just felt more like a filler episode in how it was written and came off uh, than part of the overall arc. And, I mean, that is okay to do, of course. It's just that if that was what it was, I really think uh, they could have written a much uh, tighter episode. Like, um, I could throw out an example of, like, say... X-Files or Supernatural out there where they deal with Monster of the Week uh, related stuff. And, you know, sometimes they had great storylines for the episode and sometimes they they didn't. Um, this, for the most part, felt pretty average um, uh, to me, if not a little less than that from a, from a building standpoint for a one-off episode, if that is what this is. If it isn't, then it's building for something greater i mean i'll reanalyze that later it's just i don't know enough at this point to say anything it just seemed to me like sort of like a one-off episode so um i'd also say that for this one uh the level of of nudity it just felt a, a bit excessive uh quite frankly to me i mean there were four extended nudity scenes that included three separate actresses uh, and I just don't really think it added much of anything to the to the storyline. Like I, I thought it was an odd choice again for 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 this episode. There are ways to do it and use nudity as part of the episode, but to me, this felt more of Game of Thrones in the bad way versus versus the good way. Um, so overall, I give this episode a five point five out of ten as a standalone. Um, again, if it's a major part in setting up the overall storyline that we just don't know yet, I could see a slight boost to maybe a 6.5, something like that. Uh, but this episode, it, it just wasn't my cup of tea, and it almost seems like the House of the Dragon birthing scenes <laughs> interspersing random shots of jousting or screaming dragons used this episode as inspiration. So um, I didn't think of that. <laughs> so that's... That's never a good good sign. Uh, that that almost <laughs> almost almost lost a few extra <laughs> points for me uh, for me there just because of the comparison. That's funny. Hey, okay, you do bring up some good points. I will say though that the um, the advisor did mention the curse. He was just told how to do it, so he messed up. So it was like, oh, it was a mistake. It wasn't supposed to do what it did. He didn't oh. know what it did. Oh. It's just some, you know. Hateful prick. 
but yeah, no, you, you, you make some good points. I saw the intercut not being too bad. We have, you know, this thing being birthed and then this other thing being reborn. So at least there was a slight through line. <laughs> Although it wasn't the best. <laughs> And a little gratuitous. <laughs> uh, I'll probably change my rating. I don't know. What, I'll, I'll figure it out next week. <laughs> don't 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 let the intern influence you. Uh, that's that's not that's not how this show works. I think you know that. Paris said you both make good points. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's see uh, from our viewing audience. Viewing audience, do you have any ratings for the show? Uh, in terms of comparison, what would you rate this show? Do you agree with Sesh that this was a 9 out of 10? Do you agree uh, with uh, Maria that this was a 6 out of 10? Are you an intern like me and just are completely confused and just throw random ratings up there because you don't know any better about the show? 7.5! 7.5! <laughs> Bear saying nine. Oh. He loves the scary monsters. Okay. So, so I don't know. It might be decided. I see. I see. The horror elements are really good in this one. I think they're excellent. We have we have party poopa with a giant question marks and throwing throwing hands up. Interesting. Ooh, ooh, that I that could be a nine. But it could also be a 5.5 .5 out of 6. I'm interested in seeing how, you know, how this episode, uh, how they refer to it or what builds from it on uh, the following. <laughs> well, you know, he got to save a princess this time. Woohoo! Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, I guess... Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if this is too much of a of a spoiler. I guess uh, Sesh mm -hmm. does this episode specifically play a lot much larger part in terms of the whole scheme, or is it just the one off? Why would you ask me this question? Okay, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. We, we will. We do know without spoilers. Obviously, this is a very big Yennefer episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I agree with that part. I agree with the Yennefer part. Obviously, that that they're going somewhere with with that. But thank you uh, for uh, for that non spoiler spoiler warning uh, <laughs> to both to, to to the intern to shut the hell up. So uh, <laughs> keep watching, which I know you're eager to do, even though you're only giving it fives. Uh oh! Oh no! Dissension in the ranks. Um, I am sure. I'm sure uh, the rest will will get better. Um, I, for me, honestly, I saw this episode more as an issue from how they constructed the episode and the storytelling uh, uh, type perspective than necessarily anything else. Like I thought, the direction was good. I thought the acting was was still superb. Um, uh, you know, there were notes in there. I'm just not sure that it was set up as, as well as it definitely could have been in, in my opinion. 
maybe it maybe they spent all their energy focusing on doing the horror well and then forgot the other elements. <laughs> <laughs> we did horror well, and I feel like we got a lot of good character development from uh, Errol. Like just knowing how much honor witchers have. Mm -hmm. And how much it mattered to him, you know, oh, he didn't run off with the coin, like how unlikely that was, and yes. his, his deal, you know. And I think we got a lot of good character beats from him in this one. Yeah, I think that's, that's fair. fair. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. <laughs> On that beat. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, thank you again so much for joining us this evening and watching until uh, the end. Uh, as I said, we really appreciate all your support, and hopefully uh, we brought you some intelligent conversation and laughs tonight. Uh, if not, I'm getting whipped after this show <laughs> by multiple people for no reason. And uh, in that case, you know, really, when you think about it, it's your support that makes this worth it. So... If you like this show, please like, share, subscribe, heart, do whatever likey things you need to do. Um, we appreciate it. Uh, it means a lot to us. And if you hated this show, please go ahead and make sure you like that twice. Because we've got metrics here. We see everyone who likes it twice. <laughs> and it really shows us what we need to do to correct the show. Um, for your own liking. So just come in each week, keep not hitting that like button multiple times, and we, we will make sure to fix this show just explicitly for you in the future. Um, so our next episode I have on here will be Monday, November 28th at 7 p.m. Pacific, but Sesh is... As do I. Huh? As do I. As oh, do you. Excellent. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm glad we decided this before the episode because otherwise that might look unprofessional as I'm saying this. Uh, but um, uh, in any note, that's when our next episode is, audience. So uh, it will be next Monday, November 28th, 7 p.m. Pacific time, 10 p.m. Eastern time. We'll talk about episode four of season one of The Witcher. And I'm looking forward to see you then. And until next time, could you do it better? It's me tossing the coin. Well done. Well done. <laughs> well done. Thank well you. Done. Sorry. All right, guys. Thank you so much. We'll, we'll try and get a little more musical in the intro and outro, but uh, there was a copyright strike on my singing last episode, so... Didn't, didn't work out so well. We're uh, retuning my, my voice as it is uh, part of it's getting a swift punch there. Oh, yeah. So, all right. Have a good one, everybody. Um, and again, talk to you later. Thanks again. Good night, guys. There we go.